0: Hey friends, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 67 of the PopeCast, the only podcast about popes where you'll get non-boring stories about the successors of St. Peter and a reminder that all of the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. Our sponsors this week, once again, are our friends over at Catholic Balm Co., so I have to say that Mrs. Popecast is very glad that my beard has now grown back, and I, for one, am glad to once again be able to use my Chrism Beard Balm once again from Catholic Balm Co. It not only smells great, but apparently it's good for both your beard and your skin. So, head over to catholicbalm.co to check out their great variety of products, especially if you're looking to support an awesome small business, and be sure to enter the word pope, P-O-P-E at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. So once again, that's catholicbalm.co and the word Pope at checkout. Thanks again to Catholic Balm Co. for sponsoring the Popecast. Our Pope this week was one of the last solid pontiffs of the ninth century before perhaps the darkest time in the history of the papacy. He held off the Muslim army as long as he could, spent way too long looking for new emperors, was a patron of one of the church's greatest evangelists, and sadly, was the first bishop of Rome in history to meet a certain kind of sordid And this week on the PopeCast, it's the first assassinated Pope, Pope John VIII. Around the year 820 AD, the future Pope John VIII was born in Rome, and from relatively early adulthood was a trusted advisor to several popes prior to his own election. From what we can tell, John served under four different pontiffs in a career spanning nearly twenty years as an archdeacon in the Eternal City. John first appears in history with the papacy of St. Leo IV, the pope who built the wall as listeners to the Popecast may remember way back in episode 14, and he went on to serve in the court of Benedict III, St. Nicholas the Great, and Adrian II before he was called into service as Bishop of Rome himself in 872. The man who was elected to succeed Adrian II on december fourteenth, eighteen seventy two, was a complicated figure. The Catholic Encyclopedia notes that quote all modern historians are agreed that John was one of the greatest of the great popes who sat on the chair of Peter during the ninth century. Some, however, on what would seem to be insufficient grounds, regard him as cruel, passionate, worldly minded, and inconstant. End quote. Europe at the time was largely still a part of what's come to be called the Carolingian Empire the rule by Frankish kings which had begun with the crowning of Charlemagne as Holy Roman Emperor in the year 800, but had in recent decades begun to splinter into autonomous kingdoms. By John VIII's arrival in the Chair of Peter, the Carolingian Empire was on its last legs. It would begin its decline about halfway through John's reign, more on that in a bit, and be on life support within a decade of his death. One of the first acts John had to deal with upon his election was the active persecution of Saint Methodius, who, along with his brother Saint Cyril, had single-handedly shouldered the great task of evangelizing the Slavs, those who resided in Great Moravia, as it was known then, modern-day Poland, Slovakia, Czech Republic, and Hungary, among others. The brothers, patrons of Europe and known now as the Apostles to the Slavs, went so far as to invent an entire written language and alphabet in service of their missionary efforts. Anyway, Cyril had died in 869, and Methodius, unbeknownst to Rome, had been thrown in prison the following year by the Carolingian king, the Holy Roman Emperor Louis II, and several Bavarian bishops for using the Slavonic language at mass, and also supposedly encroaching on their jurisdiction in Moravia, although that might have just been a pretense for his arrest. John received a visit, in any case, from one of those Bavarian bishops, Anno of Freising, within weeks of his election, and asked where the missing Methodius could be. Anno lied. Anno but John wouldn't be hoodwinked for long. As the story goes, when he found out the truth in the summer of that next year, the Pope was pissed. He put all of Bavaria under interdict, banning all celebration of masses and other church activities, no small feat whenever that happens, until the intrepid missionary and archbishop was released. He then welcomed Methodius to Rome, and eventually was convinced by the saint to allow a translation of the Bible into Slavonic, in addition to extending the previous permission that he had to say Mass using that same tongue. John VIII was the key figure in Methodius' ability to overcome all opposition and continue his missionary work to his death over a decade later. The Pope thankfully only had to play nice with Louis II for a short time more, given that the Emperor died in 875. That gave way for his half-brother, Charles the Bald, to be crowned by John in his place. Charles, as the Catholic Encyclopedia notes, quote, "...was a man who attempted to do great things, but knew not how to adapt his means to the ends he had in view." End quote. That was a bummer, because the Pope really needed the Empire's help to defend against the continuous threat of Muslim invasion. John VIII had apparently witnessed the Saracen raid against Rome as a young man, and according to author Matthew Bunsen, in his book The Pope Encyclopedia, John wrote this about them. Quote, "...if every tree in the forest were changed into tongues... They could not describe the cruelties of the impious pagans. The devout people of God are massacred by a continual slaughter. John managed to refortify the wall previously built by St. Leo IV for the same reason, and he made it a priority to rebuild the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls and various peasant residences that had been damaged in the previous raids. But John only received nominal help from Charles. He couldn't rally the other Italian rulers together, and Charles the Bald died barely two years into his own imperial reign. The next four years were a struggle for John VIII. He basically ended up wearing the papal tiara and imperial crown at the same time, as he searched in vain for yet another Holy Roman Emperor. Carloman, one of Louis II's sons, was considered too sick by the Pope for the Pope to approve him, and Charles the Bald's son, Louis the Stammerer, how's that for a nickname, supposedly declined the job. And so John's attention fell to another Charles, Charles the Fat, that is, who he finally crowned emperor in 881. No word on what Charles the Fat would have preferred his nickname to have been instead. Now, a pope can never have enough plates spinning at one time, of course, so as if that wasn't enough already, in the East, there was a perpetual storm burning. Three years prior to John VIII's election, Pope Adrian II had condemned Photius I, the Patriarch of Constantinople, basically as a way to end a political power struggle between Rome and the new Byzantine emperor of the time. Now, Photius was a usurper of the high office, with St. Ignatius of Constantinople being the rightful holder. Photius himself was a great and renowned scholar to his credit, and is even venerated as a saint for it in the Eastern Orthodox Church, but his behavior in this episode left a lot to be desired. He was able to convince John Eighth from exile to welcome him back into the fold after Ignatius died in 877, but John agreed only if Photius met certain conditions. Photius didn't meet those conditions, making him probably the dumbest, smart person of the ninth century. And so, Photius was given the excommunicatory boot, again in 881. John VIII served as pope for a full ten years, and he likely faced no struggle quite so unique as that of the Roman nobles. Surprise, surprise. At his election, many of the church's highest offices were in the hands of folks you wouldn't trust a bologna sandwich with, let alone the church's treasures. Among them were the brothers, Gregory and Stephen, both rampant embezzlers, and Stephen's son-in-law, George of the Aventine, who was an infamous murderer and adulterer. There were several others, but friends with the group was none other than Formosus, Bishop of Porto, the man who would later not only be Pope himself, but would have his dead body put on trial in the famous Cadaver Synod a quarter century later. Various combinations of this group hatched more than one plot against John, including trying to get the Saracens to step in, but thankfully the Pope proved too formidable an opponent. Not so thankfully, they opted to flee Rome instead, with the Church's treasury in tow, but John would have the last laugh. He called them to a trial in Rome, and when the group refused to appear, John made sure that, as the Catholic Encyclopedia notes, quote, the exiles were degraded and excommunicated, end quote, and not once, but twice, repeating himself a couple of years hence. Two days after his tenth anniversary as pope, John the eighth died, but not just of any natural cause. According to legend, our pope was murdered in cold blood by members of his own court, first being poisoned, and afterward, when the poison wasn't taking quickly enough, was clubbed to death. If the story is true, that would make John the eighth the first assassinated pope in history. And I suppose we should include a small caveat that his was the first assassination due to political intrigue or personal strife, with actual martyrdom not counting in this case. John's murder in 882 was the first of seven such instances in Church history, but wouldn't even be the last one that century. Not fifteen years later, Pope Stephen VI would be strangled to death directly as a result of the aforementioned cadaver synod. Now, that's a wrap for the story of John the 8th, but as we do with every episode that we're able, we'll close today with words from Pope John the 8th himself. Here we have the beginning of a letter to Branimir of Croatia a duke who reigned during John's time, and the man to whom John delivered the news of Croatia becoming officially a sovereign state with papal recognition on June 7, 879. Now, in these letters, I always encourage folks to pay special attention to the language being used by the popes to describe themselves and their office so many centuries yet before the Protestant Reformation. Here's John VIII to Branimir, To our dear son Branimir. The letter from your noble self, brought to us by Ivan, honored and trusted priest, shows us more clearly than the daylight how great is your faith and true veneration for the church of the holy apostles Peter and Paul and for us. And since you humbly declare that as a much-loved son, with God's help you wish in all things to be faithful and obedient to St. Peter and to us, who by God's grace stand in his place, we give great thanks to your noble self in this apostolic letter. And as a beloved son, welcome with fatherly love your return beneath the wing of the Holy Apostolic Church, your mother, from whose clear springs your parents also drank the sweet, honeyed drafts of holy teachings. And we embrace you in spirit, and would strengthen you with apostolic goodness. And may the grace and blessing of the Lord, and of the first among the apostles, Peter and Paul, and our own reign down upon you. And may you always be in good health and protected from enemies, visible and invisible, who incessantly lie in wait, to the danger of human salvation, so that you may more surely achieve your desired victory over your enemies. For in so far as you do humbly submit yourself to the Lord and to His holy laws and obey Him and honor His priests and His servants for loving the Lord, then victory will without doubt be yours, and you will gain mastery over your enemies and rebellious adversaries. I therefore exhort you in all that you do to think of the Lord, to fear Him, and with your whole heart to love Him. End quote. Well. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the story of Pope John eighth the first assassinated Pope. If you did, if you're enjoying the PopeCast and you haven't done so already, please be sure to head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It helps, of course, to make sure more folks can find and listen to the show. Thanks again to our sponsors, Catholic Bomb Co. Uh, and then also another quick reminder, be sure to check us out at patreon.com slash the PopeCast. We, of course, have uh, lots of great stuff over there, depending on the tier you pick. Uh, but most especially, you've got some sweet Popecast mugs, and also some Popecast t-shirts that are in the mix. So uh, you can pick your tier there. You can set your monthly limit. It's, it's set to uh, charge per episode instead of per month, so you only get billed uh, when we actually produce new content. Uh, so once again, that's Patreon.com/thePopecast. And of course, thanks as always to our listeners, new and old. You can always catch us on social media between new episodes at the Popecast, and feel free to shoot us an email. Uh, from our website, thepopecast.fm. Sometime we'd love to hear from you. So as we head out today, let us give thanks for the life of Pope John VIII, for working diligently for good when the forces of evil seem to be attacking from all sides. May we likewise receive the grace of fortitude to be a light to those around us, come what may. Until next time.